0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Korin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com.
2: Japanese, I'm your host Katayama, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from our studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen is kayak, but what, ex- what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I'll try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Shota Nakajima, who is the chef-owner of the modern kaiseki restaurant called Naka in Seiro. And Shota grew up in Seiro, but went to a top culinary school in Japan to learn the traditional Japanese cuisine. So today we'll discuss Shota's unique experience at the Japanese school, as well as a Restaurant in Japan and how he uh, interpret traditional Japanese cuisine in Seattle and much, much more. Hello, Shoda. Welcome to Japanese.
3: Hi. Thank you.
2: So, um, first of all, so what is your background? I heard, uh, you were raised in Seattle, but you are Japanese.
4: Yes. Uh, so I've kind of been jumping back and forth a lot. I was uh, born in Japan. I came to Seattle at a very young age. Um, And in junior high, my mom wanted me to learn about Japanese education. So my dad stayed in the States, but I moved back to Japan for three years. Mm. Um, And after junior high, I came back to the States again for high school. Mm. And uh, I started working in restaurants um, while going to high school. And I kind of dropped out a little bit and uh, started working full time just because it's something that I really enjoyed and loved. Mm. Uh, And at 18, I moved back to Japan again to... Go to Tsuji Culinary Art School and kind of learn the craft a little bit more. Learn about my culture, mm. and uh, after five years, came back at the age of twenty-three, and I've been in Seattle since then.
2: Mm, okay, wow, that's really balanced.
4: Yeah, just going <laughs> back and forth, back and forth. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a lot of fun learning about both cultures. It's extremely. In, I was extremely interested in Japan when I was eighteen, just because of the fact that. I grew up in a Japanese family, and um, I stopped living with my parents when I was 17. Mm. So that gave me a little bit more appreciation and, um, I guess, curiosity for what Japanese people do. Mm.
2: So because you can speak a perfect language, and you can go deeper into the culture to yeah. understand. Yeah. Right? So, um, so you learned... Uh, cooking the japanese cooking like as we said at uh, the tsujikarini institute yeah. that's in osaka yeah right so what did you learn how, how was the experience
4: uh tsujikarini art school it was a very interesting experience i mean all the kids it's considered the top school uh, mm. top cooking school of japan it is the cooking school of japan right. um it's very competitive there's a lot of people who are hungry and I mean there are some people who are just like okay I don't know what I want to do maybe I want to go learn cooking um those kids don't survive at all they end up washing dishes or they end up um you know just dropping out of school right away um Mm -hmm. not coming back to school just because of the fact that there's a lot of kids that go there who are extremely hungry and learning and trying to take everybody else's job.
2: Mm, Right. So it's like a military style, survival. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, I was kind of the same way. I wanted... I mean, there's only a short amount of time that you can learn stuff. And the more kids there are, like, I know it 's kind of not the nicest thing to say, but the more kids there are there 's less to learn so okay, how do I take this guy 's job and this guy 's job and this guy 's job so I can do it all and learn it all?
2: Mm. Well, it sounds like uh, non Japanese but uh, at yeah. the school it 's very competitive and, yeah. and you have to survive
4: yeah, and I mean, I have uh, two friends who are very close to mine as well right now, and they were kind of the same way. Um, we actually hated each other in cooking school <laughs> uh, because I was trying to take his job, he was trying to take my job and we would just not like get along but i mean after graduation that's when we started to get along and they're both doing great they're working at michelin star restaurants in japan and in france
2: mm, right interesting and you are the only student uh, from outside of japan
4: uh, there are actually a few from um from asia but i was the only one from the states
2: mm, right okay by the way uh, the tuji carine institute has uh, two campuses in japan and france and uh, offers very international programs so it's, it's interesting. I thought it was a little more international. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but, uh, well, actually, the Tsuji Institute has been collaborating with Chef David Bolle, uh to, And they uh, created a joint venture and opened a uh, brushstroke in Tribeca. So that's still interesting elements.
4: Yeah, okay. I'm I'm going to try to check it out tomorrow, right. maybe for lunch or something. Okay. Yeah.
2: yeah, the Chef Yamada, the executive, graduated from uh, Tsuji school, too. So, yeah, it'll be fun. Um, so... The How did you find the, you know, the the study-wise, do you think it was a very uh, traditional uh, teaching of Japanese cuisine at, at Tsuji Institute?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, they told, like, Tsuji, what I really appreciate about it now is they didn't really teach Japanese cuisine of what they do now. I mean, they did, um, but... It, it was a lot of old school, classic, classic things that they taught, like the basic techniques. I mean, I remember when we first started, it was about, OK, how to sharpen your knife. But it's not about just how to sharpen your knife. It's about you sharpen your knife. You take care of your tools. You don't leave your sharpening stone curved. You have mm. to take care of it because if your stones aren't straight, how do you expect to sharpen a knife perfectly? Mm. Um, and then into like the basics of cutting green onions. Mm. Um, which, I mean, I was I started cooking at 16, and I cut a lot of green onions. But going there, I was like, okay, I know how to cook green onions. I've been doing it for two years. Um, but going there, I was like, okay, I have been cutting green onions completely wrong.
3: Mm.
4: Uh, it's really, what I learned over there was it's about fibers. You have to really take care of the fibers, and that is the big part of why you have to make sure you have a sharp knife.
2: Mm. Wow, so it's uh, in a way spiritual and more specifically analytical. I guess, (laughs) in a sense, yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Um, So after you graduated from Matsuji school, um, where did you work?
4: Uh, I worked at a restaurant called uh, Sakamoto um, in Osaka, Kitashinchi, which was a Michelin-star restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, I was originally going to go to Kyoto uh, because my second cousin has a kaiseki restaurant over there Mm. in kyoto um but yeah i kind of i ate at a few places i ate at nagoya i ate at tokyo i ate at kyoto um and my cooking school was in osaka so i was eating around osaka but there was just this livelihood about the restaurants in osaka where it was more like straight in your face hey this is great this is delicious like, <laughs> have a bite of it
2: right yeah, yeah. the Kyoto is more for an um, emperor's culture yeah right it's
4: a little bit more formal it's um i don't like to say the word uptight because it does come off wrong but it's more formal it's more like delicate or balanced out um yeah and osaka was just like yeah yeah,
2: and this also is like dialect is really straightforward. Yeah. Like, they say really harsh thing, like very rounded yeah. expression. Yeah. Yeah. It's like in a way very um, English straightforwardness. Yeah. And I think the people's mind. Yeah. And to, I mean so. i
4: it's easier for me. Like I would rather um have someone say something very direct to me, like, okay. You're you're not doing your job right. You're you're completely messing up. You suck at your job. Uh, do you want to try to figure it out? I'll be like, yeah, thanks, guys.
2: <laughs> right. So the chef Sakamoto uh, said the same thing to you, like.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he would. I mean, him and everybody. It was a very intense uh, atmosphere, especially mm-hmm. when chef walks in. It's a little bit loose. I mean, it's not as loose. But it's a little bit loose before chef comes in. But when chef comes in, it's like, okay, tidy up everything. Mm. I mean, like, even from cleaning, like, I was surprised when I started cleaning. I was like, okay, so the sinks, uh, make sure you uh, disconnect everything and get a toothbrush and clean everything out from every single part and get all the grains out and uh, make sure it's washed and cleaned.
2: Toothbrush. Toothbrush. Yeah, toothbrush. <laughs> right. Yeah, I got really
4: used, uh, good at cleaning with toothbrushes. <laughs> mm,
2: wow. Sounds like a Thomas Keller everywhere yeah. <laughs> in Japan. Um, yeah. Right. So, um, but, you know, like you said, it's it's a different kind of culture, right? In Japanese kitchen culture is very yeah. different from here. How do you describe it?
4: Um, it was, well, I learned a word called tate shakai, which mm-hmm. is very um, a vertical. Mm-hmm. Uh, vertical society where it is from up to down, whereas from... Well, they don't have the words executive sous chef or sous chef over there. It's chef uh, Ichibante, Nibante, which is number one, number two, number three, <laughs> number four, number five. And it goes down the ranks. And um, there's this way of doing things where, let's say I was number six. I Number four wouldn't get mad at me number five wouldn't get wait if no wait number four wouldn't get mad at me number five would get mad at me Mm. um i can't go to number four and talk to him directly Mm. about things because it has to go through number five wow um and honestly there was a lot of frustration for me uh Mm. just because of growing up in the states and not understanding that culture it's like okay number five is being a complete like you know (laughs) douchebag uh sorry if i'm using bad words but um yeah he's he's annoying he's giving me crap the whole time just because he's in a bad mood or whatever maybe he broke up with his girlfriend i don't know Mm. i don't ask him but some days that'll happen and i think now it makes more sense than ever especially after leaving what that meant, how important that was, and I don't run it as strict. Mm. Um, it's a little bit looser, but I do run it kind of in the same mentality um, at the restaurant that I own right now in Seattle.
2: Mm. So it's kind of a uh, um, integrity yeah. of the order or some—I uh, don't know. There are certain rules, and yeah. it's uh, the way to manage the rules yeah. in the Japanese kitchen.
4: Yeah, and I mean everything. I do believe rules are very important because. Those rules are there for a reason. Mm. It makes
2: sense, right? Because typically you cannot ask the chef questions, and you just learn.
4: Yeah, but my yeah, but my chef was actually really cool because he would do this thing where once uh, once every other month he would take one of the employees out to drink,
3: Mm. Um,
4: and it started from number one, number two, number three, and it goes all the way down Mm. to the dishwasher. Okay, and then he restarts again. So in that sense there was time to communicate and chef would be like okay so i mean my first time i remember i was just super nervous <laughs> um my hands were like kind of shaking under the counter i'm like okay what am i supposed to do what am i <laughs> supposed to say because um, i mean he's he was a great chef he's had his restaurant for like 27 years in the mm. toughest city in japan right. um and he was like so why do you work here why do you want to work in my restaurant i'm like uh, I like your food and your atmosphere is amazing. I want to learn. He's like, cool. I mean, he's he's a lot older than me. So it was hard to communicate a lot of things. And it was hard to say what I actually wanted to say to him. And I was just completely nervous. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, those those moments are kind of a big thing that I remember where he would train people like, um, like family members, treat mm. him like family. Wow. Um, for how strict it was. Like, if you got hurt or if you were arrested for something, he would be the first guy who would be there
2: mm-hmm. to help you out. Wow. So that's amazing that that's the family mindset, which yeah. is it's a discipline, yeah. right? It's beyond just techniques or work.
4: Yeah. I mean, like, when you think about kitchens, um, it, it is kind of true. Like, people who graduate college don't go there, people who did really great in high school there's not a lot of kids that go to into the cooking side and there are a lot of you know people who kind of had a tougher past
3: mm. um
4: that work in kitchens and uh chefs chefs are really chefs in japan i in my knowledge in my experience are really good at taking care of kids like that and putting putting them back in place and that was kind of a big thing that helped me out straighten my life out as mm. well
2: right so um technically um not technically but what how many years did you stay uh, at uh, Sakamoto? Uh,
4: Sakamoto, uh, four years. Okay.
2: Yeah. So um, during the four years, what do you think you learned from uh, the kitchen on Mr. Sakamoto? <clears throat> um,
4: more than anything, the mentality. I mean, like a lot of cooking techniques, but more the mentality in anything where it's like, okay, why do you start through rice? Why do you make sure you cut one green onion at a time where you measure out things you get like we would get rulers and measure out okay uh, five millimeters by a one millimeter to two millimeter cut Mm. um and as simple as it is it gives appreciation to every single thing you're doing Mm -hmm. to the point where okay there's 20 components on this dish that we took our time and we cared about and we made sure was perfect and by the time when chef plates it um and gives it to the guests there's this warm feeling like, okay, I'm proud of this dish. I love this dish and I want you to have it because we worked hard on it. And mm. that's that's the mentality that I try to keep and that I try to teach everybody that works at my restaurant of what that is, that mentality. Mm. Um and I kind of phrase it in a simpler way where it's like, okay, why are you putting that on the pass? Mm. Would you serve that to your girlfriend? Would you serve that to your mom? Would you serve that to your dad? Would you serve that to somebody that you care about and you love mm. um and if you don't don't put it out there. Right. Cuz you're running that station, that means technically you should be better at that station than I am. Mm. In your own way.
3: So
2: maybe he was teaching to be proud of yourself meaning like the whole Yeah. as a whole person. Yeah. Right. Awesome. So um so after Sakamoto, you came back to the states? Yeah. Right. So where did you work then?
4: Uh I worked at a Sushi Kappo Timura for a year. Um which is a small, not a small. It was like forty, fifty seats. Uh, East Lake is a sushi kappa restaurant run in, by Chi Kitamura.
2: Okay, so in Seattle.
4: In in Seattle, yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so what was? Uh, did you find any difference in the kitchen culture?
4: Uh, there's there's definitely differences. Um, I mean, I think chefs struggled at the time of really conveying some things, uh, just because there's different clientels, and I was pretty much fresh off the boat, just coming back from Japan. Um, And I would constantly ask him, like, why aren't you doing it this way? Why aren't you doing it that way? And now it makes a little bit more sense sometimes. it was like, okay, you can't do it this way sometimes. You can't teach people this way Mm. at times, too, because people don't get it. Like, I I got in trouble a few times because I would be, like, you know, not the nicest person in the kitchen because I wouldn't understand some of the other cooks that work there. I'd be like, okay, you really suck at your job. You don't care about what you're doing. Mm. Like, why do you even work here?
3: Right.
4: Um, Tashi would always Pull me aside And be like Okay Shota, You gotta calm down This is in Japan <laughs> I'm like True Thank you <laughs> Yeah
2: Is this the Culture shock Yeah Culture shock say, but... Yeah
4: Cause I mean That was kind of A big thing Why I went to Japan Was because I wanted To bring back um, Something Of Japan That hasn't been Introduced to Seattle yet Cause mm-hmm. Seattle's my hometown And it always will be My hometown mm. um, But Japan's Gonna be my cultural right. uh, Culture So
2: interesting yeah
4: I wanted to introduce something about my culture my family um, my heritage to Seattle that hasn't been introduced yet and yeah that was that was always kind of a struggle for me to understand because I mean I was 23 at the time too um, I was like oh, this is the only way you can do it <laughs> <laughs>
2: Right. and by the way the sushi couple Tamura couple which is I think uh, for a lot of listeners it's a new term kapo. so what is kapo?
4: Uh, kapo means do um, So um, I mean It's I think it's changed A little bit now It's more into Counter service Where the chef Is literally Handing you the dishes mm. um, And you don't have To do courses as well If you don't want to
3: Okay
4: um, I mean I heard And there's Multiple Like theories to it Multiple stories Of how it started But The one I think Clicks for me the most And makes sense is um, I don't know if People are familiar with the word which is a kaiseki restaurant
3: mm-hmm.
4: um, where it's very formal you sit down for business meeting politicians go there business, mm-hmm. you know, business people go there um, but it gets very exhausting at times
3: because
4: right. um, you're sitting there for hours and there's rules that hey if your boss doesn't touch his plate you can't touch your plate and mm-hmm. some people would be there for like five hours six hours right. and they start to get hungry <laughs> so um, people would take breaks and go down to the kitchen sit down at the kitchen pass and be like uh, blah blah blah. Talk to the chef. Um, yeah, I'm tired, and then the chef would be like, "Yeah, I have fish heads because you don't serve fish heads in kaiseki like course mm. meals because it's just. I mean, you do, but you don't. It, you don't really. Right. Um, so I'd be like, "Yeah, we have some great fish heads right now. You want you want to eat some? Mm. I'd be like, "Yeah, I would love some. Um, and they would just start
3: mm. cooking
4: right there for the guests, and right. that's uh, that's one of the theories of how kapo started. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, I guess kapo is very counter-serviced um, in the needs So if you go to a kapo restaurant in Japan and be like, oh, I just want a few bites Hey, I mm. just actually want to grab a miso soup today mm. like, Yep, definitely I want the best ojizuke okay, you, can, you can have or right. I can have tonight um, So there's casual senses to it as much as formality where you can go down, uh, you can sit down and eat 10 courses now.
2: Mm, okay. Yes, I remember that one day um, when I was in Kyoto, one uh, Kaiseki chef said uh, the difference between kappo and the ryote: if there's a garden, that's ryote. Yeah. <laughs> that's very formal yeah. and more expensive. Yeah. They have a real estate to see the garden too. Yeah. Right. So, so kappo sounds like uh, straightforward and casual yeah. and more kind of hands-on, that's seasonal. Yeah. Right? Spontaneous.
3: Yeah. Right.
2: Okay. So, um, well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about Shota's fascinating Japanese restaurant in Seattle called Naka. So please stay with us.
0: Music for this commercial break is brought to you by Tackstar And this track is called in Dreams.
1: Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs koren is dedicated to this ideal bringing the implicit and elegance of japanese culture to your table be it in your home or in the finest restaurant for more information visit koren.com
2: welcome back you're listening to eats, broadcasting live promo studio in bushwick brooklyn I'm your host, Akiko Katema, and my guest today is Shota Nakajima, who is the chef-owner of uh, the modern kaiseki restaurant called Naka in Seattle. So um, after gaining experience of those great restaurants, you opened the Naka in June 2015. So what's the concept of a Naka?
4: Uh, naka is a kaiseki restaurant. Um, where we use, uh, nor- I, I like to call it Northwest Kaiseki, just mm. because of the fact that of my culture where I, I grew up in the Northwest, I mean, I was running around the woods, picking bugs when I was a little kid, mm. um, <laughs> just running barefoot, eating blackberries, um, And uh, but I am Japanese as well, so using both components and cooking with Northwest ingredients, um, not everything Northwest, we do get a lot of things from Japan as well. Um, but yeah, using those ingredients and doing a kaiseki course where we offer a six-course, a ten-course, and a fifteen-course, mm. and then we have a different component in the restaurant as well, where it's um, where we have a full bar um, right before you walk into the restaurant, which is a little bit more casual, where you can eat kind of modern, fun, northwest-like izakaya bites. Mm. Um,
2: so it sounds like we talked about couple before the break. So yeah. the bar part is more like couple and. Uh, the restaurant part yeah. is kind of kaiseki, yeah. style.
4: Yeah. I mean, like uh, especially the bar side, just because you can't you can't actually directly see the kitchen because it's a it's like a bar bar. Mm. Um, and we have a lot of great cocktails, um, craft cocktails. Uh, our bartender Dustin Dustin Lobe and Sean they do an amazing job. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's. Like the bar is set up so you can drink delicious cocktails, or you can grab some Japanese beer and eat delicious bites. Mm. Uh, and we have a lot of Japanese whiskey as well. So
2: mm, that's interesting. So once you go there, you really get the window into the Japanese culture.
4: Yeah. Hi. Yeah. And I mean, uh, the other fun part about what we started doing is uh, we used to have like the servers take out the food. Mm. Um, I mean, we still do when it's extremely busy and we can't get the chefs out of the kitchen, but. Lately, we started, like a month or two months ago, we started that all chefs are taking out food to the bar food Mm. and explaining it just because of the fact that um, it it means something when you take out the food yourself. Um, When, I mean, the kitchen gets very tight together um, and it becomes a very close brotherhood Mm. um, because I am a young chef owner as well to the point, okay, so if I'm taking this out, I want to make sure, like if one of the chefs is taking it out like everybody wants to make sure that you don't want to make somebody else take out something that's embarrassing or something that you you wouldn't make or you wouldn't want to take
2: mm, out right so that's exactly the spirit of a couple yeah right so you communicate and then uh, it's almost like you know open kitchen you see uh, the chefs cooks from the long distance and then wow what, what, are they, what are they thinking now you know like if they come out yeah. and and serve food your food you get excited yeah so that's great all right. So what kind of menu do you have? Um, you said uh, the tasting menus only? At, uh, uh, in the
4: dining room, we only have tasting menus, which um, we have three options, which is uh, a tasting course. And I don't actually use the word kaiseki on it, just because I don't really, it's, it's a little hard to do a kaiseki mm-hmm. in six courses, in my personal opinion, um, but some people, Kaiseki
2: is used mostly, traditionally, it's like a 10 yeah. different kinds of, at least.
4: Yeah. Right? So um, that's going to be our uh, Naka Kaiseki, which is the 10 course, which mm. is the classic, which everyone orders. Right. Um, but I liked, I actually like having the tasting menu just on there because it is something new in Seattle. Mm. And people are like, okay, I don't know what it is. People... People are a little uncomfortable, so it's a good way to get in. Mm. Um, get in and be like, oh, it is delicious. It's just, it's delicious food.
2: Right. So how many um, dishes in the tasting, t- tasting menu?
4: Uh, tasting is a six course. Six,
2: okay. Um,
4: and our naka is a 10 course. Mm. And then we have a chef's kaiseki, which is a week in advance notice, mm. uh, which is a 15 course. Wow. And I recommend people not to try the 15, like their first time, honestly, just because of the fact that, I would rather have some information, like be able to talk to you because we do a lot of guest notes where servers, I mean, doing a 10 course meal, uh, two and a half hours, servers or chefs would be going down to the table at least 10 times Mm. and interacting with the guests 10 times um, Mm. to the point where, you know, like you start to get to know the person. And at the end of the night, everybody writes about it in kind of our system that we have. Um, and we call it guest notes, where when they come in again, we can research about who they were, what they liked, what the conversation was. Mm-hmm. And we talk about it before we open the restaurant. And we're like, oh, yeah, that that's it. Um, so, I mean, we try to do it, like, the night before our maitre d' would come to the pass and be like, oh, these are the guests that are coming in tomorrow. This person's come in two months ago. Mm-hmm. This is what she liked. And we'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember that person. So <laughs> um, And especially, like, if they do a 15 course, they did a 10 course the first time. They do a 15 course the second time we know a little bit more about the guests. So it's mm. it's a little bit fun. It's a little bit easier to try to figure out a different course for them.
2: Right. It's like a show production. Yeah. Right? That's fun. But it's a lot of hard work, like I said. It is. Right. Um, so the actual dishes I saw on your website, like, you know, for the Naka kaiseki 10 courses, uh, starts with sous egg. Basically, I think it's like onsen tamago. Yeah. Steak, right? And then, so the IC, uh, all those uh, classic um, zosei, And So how um, How do you Kind of merge Japanese traditional Japanese elements And uh, like you said Northwest Kaiseki elements
4: All my cooking Methods are Honestly extremely old school Japanese Mm. Um, To the point Where I have chefs from like Other restaurants where they were like CDC's at great restaurants like James Beard Award Restaurants And it's interesting having a conversation with him because i'm like hey guys i don't know how to use an oven <laughs> i don't know how to use a mandolin i don't know how to use all that stuff i know how to cook japanese food mm. um so the way we cook is very very old school because i mean that's what i learned in japan and that's what i wanted to bring back but in that sense we use a lot of northwest ingredients so like our zosui, we would cook it like a shimeji you know some kind of Mm-hmm. Shimeji duck no, also is
2: basically uh, kanji or yeah. Tea, right?
4: yeah But we would use uh, local northwest mm-hmm. mushrooms Like we would throw in lobster mushrooms That were forged in the woods of Washington I mean There's a lot of great ingredients that Japanese I I've, I've hope Japanese chefs start using a little bit more That mm-hmm. are in the northwest I mean Mushrooms last year, I mean, at the peak season there were 14 different kinds of mushrooms mm. um, and right now me and my crew are kind of like on our days off because we have Mondays and Tuesdays off. We would go into the woods and, you know, um, learn about mushrooms. I actually have a mushroom book in my pocket <laughs> right now, which is called I'm not trying to promote it, but um, All the all That the Rain Promises and More and it's just like small books about mushrooms.
2: Mm, that sounds very Northwestern mindset. It's very, <laughs> no- it's
4: very, very Northwest, but it's it's fun. I mean, as a chef and I like taking the team out there. Um, The first time I went with the team, we actually went truffle foraging with a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. uh, Local truffles, they're delicious. Um, And my friend Sunny, she she took us out and we were out there for like three, four hours. Um, And we got five small truffles. And we got, I mean, we're not the best at it, so we don't know the locations, but we got like seven or eight pieces of chanterelle. Wow. But the fact that Working in a kitchen, we have forgers, and we get so used to looking at ingredients Mm. that come in boxes. Oh, you pay this price, you Mm. get it. Um, But going out there with the team and forging with the team, you get this this appreciation, kind of what I talked about, like Mm. working in Japan, where it's, shoot, somebody actually picked this out (laughs) from the woods. Mm. Um, And we we have the honor we get to cook with this and we get to serve it to somebody mm. and i mean that's something that i i guess that's the base of how we try to cook our food
2: right so that mindset and the seasonality of course you hunt from the nature it's the whole season yeah. to express right. but what about the seasonality in Seattle? this keeps changing quickly as like it changes a lot
4: yeah i mean like summertime we have great spot prawns um a lot of fun seafoods do come out. Springtime's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I don't actually know all the English names, but there's a lot of uh, uh, like kogomis, um, tsukushis, there's just a bunch of
3: you mm.
2: know, Like ferns. Kind of, yeah, right. ferns
4: that are edible um, and a lot of people use in Japan that people over in the states don't use yet. Uh, like the first time, the English name is uh, Devil's Club. Mm. It's so delicious. Um, and just simply temper fry, and it's all over the place. I went hiking a few times, and it's like, oh, it's right here. Oh, it's right here. Oh, it's right here. <laughs> but nobody thinks of cooking with it.
2: Aye. Mm. So it's like in lamb's quarters in New York City. Like people think it's like a weed, but it's, it's edible, that kind yeah. of thing. Like, yeah. yeah. But I think uh, the Japan is very foresty. I think uh, 70% of the whole country is uh, covered by woods. So yeah. I think that Seattle is the right place yeah. like to be yeah. to cook Japanese cuisine yeah All right okay um so the uh the next question i was I wanted to ask you so you know the the you know Seattle food scene, even if the nature is similar, but you know people's palate or mindset may be a little different, so did you have to make an adjustment to cook Japanese traditional cuisine
4: um there was a point after like three months where I was like, maybe I should start making an adjustment um, but honestly no, not really. I cook. I mean that was I mean I wanted to open a restaurant when I was 20 um, obviously didn't have the chops or any knowledge about how to, but I always had this core promise that I made to myself was, okay, if I open a restaurant, the only thing I'm going to do is cook food that I would want to eat. Cook food that I will want to serve my parents, especially my mom. I'm kind of a mama's boy, and she always cooked when I was growing up. And she's actually one of the biggest uh, inspirations and the biggest reasons I'm in cooking right now. Mm.
2: Um, So she's from uh, which region of Japan? She's
4: from uh, uh, Tokyo. Okay. Uh, It's a little under. I mean, it's called Ayase Shitamachi, Mm -hmm. Um, and her her family's a baker. Wow. Um, But yeah, I mean, like. If I don't, I guess my main reason for cooking is I want to cook something that I would be proud of cooking, Mm. uh, that I would want to sit down and eat and hope to God that people come back and love it. And Mm. I've honestly, like before opening, I was more nervous than anything, but it's, it's surprising how many people love the flavor just being very genuine, Mm. um, being very straightforward. Um, I mean, We don't use butter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We actually do have some butter courses in the bar menu, but, like, downstairs, we don't use butter, and it's nothing against butter. Like, don't get me wrong, I love butter. Mm. Um, But it does overpower a lot of the subtle flavors that Japanese cuisine has.
2: Mm. Right. Okay. So, um... Well, I'm sure your parents are really proud of you being, right? But it sounds like you are at three restaurant. You take your team to, you know, the forest and foraging and that kind of thing. So do you think you're reproducing uh, your, um, you know, Sakamoto's experience maybe?
4: I guess in my way, I've, I always wanted to try to be a chef like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is my mentor. He's someone I always will look up to. Mm-hmm. Um and the way he treated his team, I mean, it was amazing. Like he changed people's lives, and and mm. that's a little out there trying to cook in like the U.S. It's it's not a lot about that, but I mean, getting the right people, and I have an excellent crew that has a great mentality, um, and hopefully, like they can get something from it where. I mean, it's not going to be like Japan where you're going to be training there for 5 to 10 to 15 years. Mm. But in a sense, they'll always... I hope everyone will always appreciate what they get got to do at NACA. Mm. Um I mean, it is is—it is a lot of work. Like, some days, like, honestly, I'm just like, okay, honestly, I just want to sleep
3: today. <laughs>
4: honestly, I would rather just, like, you know, sleep, close my eyes, not really think about anything. Because it, it does get a, um, a little overwhelming at times. Mm. Um Because, I mean, I'm not just the chef, I am the chef and owner, so I have to do the financials, Mm
3: -hmm. I have
4: to understand service, I have to make sure service is going well with my partner, Mm -hmm. uh, my GM. Um, But at those times, it's like, okay, but I got to get out of bed, and Mm. we got to take the team out, and everyone's a little drowsy, everyone's like, ah, (laughs) (laughs)
3: because
4: it's a day off, too. Right. but there, there is a bigger, beautiful thing to it, and I think everyone does get it in the restaurant. I'm mm. really lucky that I have a great team, that everyone understands
2: that. Right. Well, I'm really excited to see, you know, someone like you really um, rebuilding well, kind of, like, evolving Japanese cuisine in Seattle. And um, I have a question about, you know, the, the current status of traditional Japanese cuisine, like Kaisekiyo and know, all those. Um, because... I think uh, Chef Yoshihiro Murata of Kikunoi in Kyoto, which has soy mission starts and uh, one of the most traditional kaiseki restaurants in Japan, uh, he once told me that um, kaiseki is still thriving because it has evolved over time. So um, I think you have a very objective view to the Japanese traditional yeah. cuisine. So what do you think? What's happening there right now?
4: I mean, I think the hardest thing is... So what is the base of Kaiseki? I mean, originally, like, super originally, 500 years ago, it was one course. Mm. <laughs> um, to this, to now, where it's multi-courses, where it's, it's become something that there's, like, basic traditional things that you have to do. And, I mean, I think you can use butter, honestly, for some restaurants. I mean, I don't use it in Seattle because of the fact that it does get confusing because you are doing it in the States. Mm. Um But, I mean, there are so many ingredients that are available, so many delicious things that are available. It's about the expression of the chef, Mm. of what he wants to do. And I think it goes back to what I kind of talked about is, I mean, serve what you want to serve in the right. I mean, there's like small orders that you do kind of follow. Mm. Um, But serve what you want to serve, like what you would be proud of. And I think that's what Kaiseki's kind of turned into a little Mm. bit more and more. I mean, like, working at, doing the first Kaiseki restaurant um, in the Northwest, I think the biggest struggle that I honestly have is when guests say, so is this authentic? Mm. I mean, I don't know. Authentic is the hardest word for me right. to try to communicate with, because mm. who knows what authentic Kaiseki was? was 500 years ago. Right. No one was even alive. <laughs> um, and now it's just changing it's like it's like anything it's like technology Mm. um everything changes everything evolves in time and there's newer mindsets that grew up in different um different eras and i think i'm one of the younger ones who are who learned a little bit about japanese cuisine and kaiseki and
3: Mm.
4: i mean i think i kind of have a different background where i did grew up in the states as well Mm. um and i think that's the type of food that i want to cook
3: right
2: so it's a universal mindset. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's excellent. So, um, so what's your plan for the future?
4: My plan for the future is honestly not forget about like the base of why I started cooking. Um, always, always remember to cook something that I would want to serve somebody that I care about. Mm. And in any, any means, make sure that that's always the core of what I do.
2: Right. Okay. So um, I'm so curious to see what's going to happen with your restaurant and with your whole career now. So please come back. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so thank you for joining us today, Shota. Yeah, thank you. So listeners, if you'd like to know more about... uh, uh, show us activities, please um, visit but uh, That is naka, n a k a, com. And if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for guests or topics over the show, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org. And japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, and the Stitcher podcasts. And please go to iTunes and Stitcher and write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Today's show was made possible by Corinne and our engineer is PLB animate. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.